So let's get into the passage this morning. Where are we? We are in a situation where Jesus has been moving through uh, the Judean desert and he's coming up to Jerusalem. He has told his disciples, I must enter Jerusalem and on the third, or, and I must be uh, uh, crucified. I must suffer death. And on the third day I will rise again. And, and many famous parts of Scripture, the, the discourses that Jesus taught at the temple, the turning over the tables, on and on. This happens this week. And you're going to see a lot of that in John. That's why I want you to go there. You're going to get a great understanding of who Jesus is if you read 12 through 21. So now they're on their way up. Jesus has just within the past couple weeks raised Lazarus from the dead. Now he's at the house of Simon the leper. How many of you thought it was Mary and Martha's house? Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand, but yeah, I thought it was Mary and Martha's house. It's actually the house of Simon the leper, but Mary and Martha and Lazarus are family, and they're hosting a banquet, a celebration for Jesus. And many of you are aware of, of this moment. This is the moment where Mary is, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and, and what's going on with Martha? She's running around like any hostess around Christmas time, right? Trying to get it all done, and she's getting angry because somebody ain't holding up the system, Right? Yeah, yeah, I see. this is fun. This is where it's fun for the preacher, because I get to watch some of your faces when I'm telling these stories. Says everything. Yep, uh-huh, yeah, why isn't she, she needs to get up and help out. And Jesus says, no, and, and, and you don't stop being critical of her, and, and then she breaks this ointment, this, this uh, nard, this, this um, uh, very expensive gift. And what happens next? Judas, oh, wait. Judas and the disciples all get in a huff questioning Mary's act of worship towards Jesus. And Jesus reproves all of them. But this is where Judas starts to fall down the slippery slope. And he walks out of that, that banquet, that festival, that, that celebration for Jesus. And he goes and he finds strange bedfellows. This is where Judas starts to betray Jesus so much is happening this is like your as the world turns moment folks and that's where we pick it up the banquet is over it's the next day pilgrims are coming from all over and they would have gone right up around the Mount of Olives past Bethany where the banquet was the night before they would have been moving down into the Kidron Valley over to the temple. There would have been many Jews that were already there that came from the temple area down the Kidron and up to see Jesus, this person who raised Lazarus from the dead. That's enough for you to understand what's going on. It's the preparation for Passover. The Jews were in process to gather together to observe Passover. That's why you have so many people there. And they knew who Jesus was. They knew who Jesus was, but something happens that's very different than any of Jesus' prior entrances into Jerusalem. This was the moment. This was it. This is when someone pays all your taxes. You ready? The triumphal entry, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that's the feast we were talking about, the night before, that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was so that they heard that he was that they heard he had done this. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." Wow. So you heard me set up the story. You hear how John tells the story. And there's so much in here to unpack. This morning, let's look at just a couple key things. You can turn in your, uh, in your bulletin and you'll find sermon notes. And you can fill in the blank. You're going to have three keys here. Jesus the something. And the first one is Jesus the King. Jesus the King. So we hear where... The crowd, this great crowd that had been coming in as pilgrims in for Passover, people that had already been in Jerusalem, people that knew that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. When when you think about your favorite actor or actress and they're with, you know, your favorite band member or whatever, and they're in your town, right? We're watching watching the Warrior game the other night and and Gentry is sitting on the sofa and she says, you know, Kevon Looney is the most famous person I've ever met. And we as a family, we went out late one night, like 10.30 to see a movie. It's what we do. We're weird. And we're the only people in the theater other than Kevon Looney. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we had that moment. We're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. and so people are like trying to pull out their phones. And I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And, and, but when I got my phone focused. <laughs> but, you know, who do you become when someone famous is in the room? Right? And that's what's happening within the people. Is it's not just Jesus that's there in Bethany. It's not just Lazarus. It's both of them. And the reputation was huge. So they all start going up and they all start gathering because famous people are there. Something's happening. Now Jesus is ready to do the triumphal entry along with all the other pilgrims coming into Jerusalem the next morning. And he does something that's, that's just crazy. It's something people have been waiting for for a long time. It's something Simon the leper had been waiting for. It's something that Mary and Martha had been waiting for. It's something his disciples had been waiting for. And let's talk about it in just a minute. So why did they grab palm branches? By the way, this, this is the authentic one. Andrew, the disciple, was holding this one. It's been <laughs> preserved nicely. Now, other pastors don't have this. And, and when you came here today, you got authenticity. Uh, this is off of our palm right out there. I clipped it. We've been growing this for years just so that I could have this moment. Why is it they grab palm branches? Jews took major moments where God issued blessing upon them and they made festivals. All right? So they're all gathering for Passover. It is not festival time, it's Passover time. And so what you will see is in the other uh, Gospels, when they talk about this account, it says they grab branches. 
John's very specific that they gather palm branches. What they were doing is that there is a festival called Sukkot, okay? Or the, the festival of tabernacles or booths. And really was this culmination of the understanding that the Messiah would come, the promised Messiah would come, and it's what they were waiting for, right? You're waiting for your tax return. You see how I'm doing this? You see how I'm just taking the relative things of life that happened, and, and, and I'm just putting it. You know, if you had a $10,000 tax return, would you not be checking the mail every day? Right? Okay, this is better than that. The Jews had been oppressed and oppressed and oppressed, and part of their teaching, part of their understanding from generation to generation to generation was that Messiah will come. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And it will be the fruition of your relationship with God. It's this monumental moment. Right? And so what they would do is for the festival of Sukkot is that they would grab branches, often willow branches. And they would hold them in their right hand and they would go to the temple waving these and they would be shouting certain psalms, certain traditional songs, all in the focus of waiting for Messiah to come. Well, it was during a certain time of year. It wasn't during this time of year. And so there are no willow branches to grab. All they had to grab were palms because they're there all year long. So a little bit of insight. Why did they grab palms? Some people want to say it's the national symbol of, you know, I, I don't know about all that. I know in Revelation it talks about that they will be waving palms once again at the throne. But they grabbed a significant symbol of a festival that talked about the coming and realization of Messiah and the kingdom was here. The king is here! Hosanna! In the highest! That's what this palm represents. That's what was being declared on the road this day. And they were laying their clothes down. They were laying the palms down in front of him. Now, what's the next thing that happens? Would anybody like this so it just doesn't go to trash? Would you like a palm on Palm Sunday? Come on up, Eli. I'm sorry, Zeke, you raise your hand first. Okay, here's how we're going to do this. Manny gets this half, and you get this half. And Ezekiel gets, or uh, uh, Eli gets the, the middle, the stem. You guys have fun with that. Good luck, Mom and Dad. There's something significant happening, and the Jewish pilgrims know that it's the coronation. How? They've suspected who Jesus is because of what Jesus has said, because of what Jesus has done. All of his history speaks to what Messiah would be, yet he's humble. He's hiding. Even in his incarnation, he came in as a lowly servant born in a manger, not as a king. And yet here is this moment. What is it that triggers them to understand? The answer for a desperate and suffering Israel. Their king is coming. He's finally here. Jesus does something amazing. He does a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. He does so intentionally. You see, on that day, if you had ridden in on a donkey and you had done some of the things and said some of the things that Christ had said, Israel would have gathered around you proclaiming you king because this was prophecy. You heard the prophecy, right? 
John quotes it, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. They knew this. They knew this from a young age. This is how you look for Messiah. This is how you look for the king. And when he comes like this, he will set up his kingdom and you will no longer need to what? What does Zechariah say at the very beginning? You will no longer need to fear. You know, they got that part right. That when you get to know who Jesus is, fear can be vanquished. Amen? Israel quickly turned their back over the next few days because Jesus failed to meet their expectation of a king. But it makes all the sense in the world why they're waving branches, why they're saying Hosanna in the highest. By the way, their fulfillment of saying Hosanna in the highest in this procession comes from the Hallel Psalms, right? 113 through 118. This is a quote, a direct quote of the Hosanna. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This comes straight from Psalm 118. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were fulfilling prophecy. They knew who Jesus was. This is the king who's going to free us and change everything and get the... You know, you were right to that point. But let's see what else they were thinking. They were going to get the Romans... He was going to get the Romans subjugated. He was going to rule with an iron fist over Rome. He was going to establish every Hebrew. They would no longer have to fear. But what would happen by the end of the week? Pilate would have his way with Jesus. What? Wait a minute. Hey, uh, Ben Yehuda, you were with me up there. We like laid down our clothes. He came on the donkey. The prophecy says it. So he's supposed to vanquish us from these oppressors. That's the Jesus that I was waiting for. That, 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 that was my Jesus. This guy turned out to be nothing. He was snuffed out like that. He was humiliated. He was shamed. His disciples are scattered. There's no power here. That's not my Jesus. This may be the reason why we don't see mentioned, we don't know that this is true, but we don't see mentioned a large crowd of faithful believers before the foot of the cross. But here's the reality. We know what happens. We know what Jesus was saying was going to happen. Why were his disciples dismayed? It doesn't make a lot of sense because he was saying all along, I'm going up that I might be killed. Peter tries to tell him, no, 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 that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is going to establish the kingdom and the throne. That's why we're all part of this, Jesus. Just ask Andrew. Andrew, tell him, right? That's not my Jesus. And Jesus' response to Peter is, get thee behind me, Satan. You see, Jesus said about himself, I have come to do the will of my what? My Father. Now let's talk through this just from a a logical standpoint. Those that are laying down their clothes, those that are laying down the palms, Jesus is coming. He's proclaimed. He has accepted it. He is living out by choice the Zechariah 9 prophecy. This is it. You know? 
People are, Hadassah's telling, you know, uh, Ruth, I told you he was the Messiah. You wait until he comes in on the donkey, but I've been telling you for two years he's the Messiah. And what happens? Well, if it had gone down the way that those individuals wanted it to happen in that moment, what would have happened for mankind? What if Jesus never went to the cross, but he set up a throne in Jerusalem? Where would our state of eternity be? Jesus would no longer be the Jesus he says he is. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When Jesus says, I can do nothing outside the will of my Father who sent me, then Jesus is no longer that Jesus because the will of the Father was that he would suffer and die and be raised on the third dead. Why? On the third day. Why? So that you and I and those there in Jerusalem may experience eternal life and free separation from sin and death. Amen? Never would have happened if we had listened to Ben Yehuda and, and uh, whoever those other two girls I mentioned. I'm horrible with names. Never would have happened if things had happened in concert with the thinking of even the disciples. Jesus is king of a heavenly kingdom. He's the king of a heavenly kingdom. The question for you and I today under the subject of Jesus the king is are you a citizen? Are you a citizen of that heaven? Of that kingdom? This is why he came. This is why he suffered. And so the triumphal entry for you and I today is a triumphal entry, is it not? And it was for them even at that time. He came to announce his kingship. And because he stayed on the will of the Father, because he stayed on what he was there to do, the kingdom was established for eternity. Had it been the shortcomings and short-sighted thinking of the individuals of the day, they would have perished for eternity and we would have perished for eternity. Thank God my view of Jesus is not the view of Jesus. Next point, Jesus is a transformer. Not like Optimus Prime, all right? I just want to just get over it. Jesus, the transformer, the answer for vanquishing the sorrow of death. Where have we been? Well, we're, we're at the triumphal entry. He's riding in on a donkey proclaiming his kingship, his messiahship. Back it up where we were the night before. We're at Simon the leper's house. There's a special uh, celebration for Jesus by Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The crowds have gathered because Lazarus and Jesus are there. Why is that happening? Because just a couple weeks prior, down in the Judean desert, what happens? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Never, never been done before. Not to that extent. This is a typology. This is, this is him creating a sign of what he was going to do. And yet people were so enamored by the fact that here was a dead man. And I mean dead is dead is dead, according to the Jew. That's why Jesus waited a period of time. His Jewish culture requires burial time to be in a certain amount of time that the soul is still kind of lingering around the body. And there's a bunch of other things there I can't mention because uh, I don't have time. But, but Jesus was observing those things so there would be no question that Lazarus was dead. Right? And yet he raises him. And again, it's a picture of what's about to happen. This is where we are. 
Jesus transforms those in death into what? Life. So, so far we know Jesus is king, but he's king over a heavenly kingdom. You know, on my Facebook page, because I have to mention it every Sunday, (laughs) on my Facebook page, I think it says something like political affiliation or something like that. You're supposed to fill this in on your bio. I wrote theocracy. Part of your life group notes this week is, it says, um, you know, was Jesus a Republican? Was he a Democrat? Was he, you know, everybody wants to claim Jesus. And they want to put him into this box. Jesus is transformative. First, he's the king of a heavenly kingdom. The question for us then is, are we citizens? Are we going to pull our palm branch back up off the road? <laughs> It was like, whoa, 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 that's not what I was thinking was going to happen here. I'm, I'm pulling my palm branch. No. Keep it there because the kingdom he set up is not the one you can imagine. It's the one he imagined and made happen. Amen? And we're the recipients. We can be those citizens by faith in him, by trusting him, not our version of him, but in him. You want people to relate to you according to the version they've made up of you? Or do they want, you want them to appreciate you, love you, befriend you because of who you are? Let's not do Jesus that same disservice. So he's transformative. He has the power to vanquish the sorrow of death. He vanquishes, and we see the celebration the night before. I can just hear Mary and Martha, <laughs> especially Lazarus, right? Uh, Wow, can't really believe I was dead and uh, now I'm sitting here eating hummus with you. This is so weird, right? You know? And uh, Mary and Martha, you know, the two that had been screaming at him, where were you? Where were you? They're like, "Mm, can we not mention that whole part? Oh no, I'm going to have it recorded in Scripture for all time for for people to see, you know, your, your foibles here. Why? Because this is how we struggle. We struggle with the idea that transformation really can't happen. Or there are boundaries on transformation. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have given testimony to the fact that you don't fully understand it, that's okay. What he has said about himself, you do believe. And you believe so in faith. Let me tell you, that is the most impossible transformation ever. And it only happens because of his spirit revealing that to you. It is a supernatural transformation. So many in this room even today understand how Jesus is a transformer. He has the ability to do that. Many in our society and our culture today would want to take that away from Jesus. Jesus was a great man. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus had great teachings. But that, you know, that part about him raising Lazarus from the dead. Oh, oh, well, that part about this coming up later this week about him actually raising from the dead. Yeah, that gets outside the scope of my Jesus. Well, you can have, actually, I want to say you can have that Jesus. I don't want anybody to have that Jesus, right? Lazarus has been transformed from death to life. The crowds wanted to witness the gathering together. That's why they're there. They're amazed at the transformation. Oddly enough, this is where Judas begins his transformation. At least the one that we can see. There's an element here with Judas that is part of who he is because he hasn't guarded his heart. 
there's a part here where we can see where Judas has the wrong understanding of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus was not Judas' king. Why? Because where the, the infection started to happen in Judas' heart is Mary, who understands his kingship, really gets it, right? The sister of the one who's been raised from the dead. What would you give if a family member was raised from the dead? And so she takes something that's probably not even hers to take, and she takes it and she breaks the whole thing upon Jesus and anoints him. And Judas, the other disciples are upset too, but this is where J Judas goes over the cliff. And he goes to make his lot with the enemy. He's transformed. He's crossed the line. He said, I'm done. Sign up for this Jesus. It's a little scary, isn't it? We want to paint a picture that Jesus is the maker of peace. Jesus is the one that unifies. Is that true? Amen. But Jesus cannot have peace with evil, can he? It's impossible. It's impossible. The pilgrims were transformed into a parade shouting right they had begun to sing part of the hallel section of the psalms we're going to sing at the end some of those very words today how exciting and and the tr jewish tradition was is that they would sing some of these psalms out of 118 113 through 118 it was part of their sukkot uh, festival and so they're not just yelling hosanna they're singing songs it would have been this grand, grand parade that would have been, ha it would have put the opener to the Olympics to shame. Halftime Super Bowl party would have been paled in com comparison to what was going on on the Mount of Olives. Just phenomenal. Jesus transforms Lazarus. He transforms Judas. He transforms these pilgrims. Jesus transforms us because of his ministry, his messiahship, and his message. The biggest challenge for you and I today is, do we know Jesus' ministry? Or is it a ministry that we've kind of redacted? Do we know his message? Or is it just part of the message we like? I'm going to speak, actually I'll speak to it right now. You've got a couple verses in your notes here. And he says to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Then he says to Thomas, just before, or, or just after the Passion Week, or I'm sorry, in the middle of the Passion Week, right after the, the triumphal entry, when they're gathered together, he has this conversation with Thomas. And Thomas says to him in, in John 14, 5-7, Lord, we do not know where we are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A very popular pop culture icon in, in our world who has millions of people hanging on whatever words she says gives testimony to the fact that she was at, at age 21 or 22 was sitting in a church service, a Baptist church service, and something was said by the preacher about Jesus being the only way. And this is where this individual changed their approach. 
Because her Jesus should just be all accepting, inclusionary. Because this is what is just. This is what is right. And so Jesus is just one way. And by the way, it's not just the Father. It's not just heaven. It's a gathering that's a peaceful gathering for, for everyone. And that all of those pursuits are all leading to the same place. And this individual was challenged by someone saying, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Well, that's just a really misunderstood verse. You see, Scripture tells us that the world will exchange the truth for a what? A lie. And by the way, a lie where it says, Jesus has horns and he's here to destroy you. No, that's not a threat. But, putting things together so it sounds like everybody can be at peace with one another, that sounds good. Where have we heard something like that before? Oh, did God really say that? Come on, it's so shiny and nice looking. Plus, he knows that if you eat it, you're you're just going to be like him. What's the big deal? Don't you want to be like God? You see, that's how deception twists truth. And here's the reality. There were consequences not just for Adam and Eve for that choice. There were consequences for us. There were consequences for Jesus. Because of that decision, Paul says in Romans, sin entered into the world through one man, Adam. And so the one man, Jesus, will come, has come, and paid the price that we might be free from that sin. So Jesus, in everything that's happening right now in this story that we focus on, as a result of that choice back here that happened because of truth that was modified. Brothers and sisters, which Jesus do you believe in? Jesus the Reformer? Jesus the Reformer is the answer for besieging a corrupt and religious leadership. So where, where is this going? What's happening here? Well, Judas is reformed into the representation of those feeling betrayed by their Jesus. Right? So Judas has been transformed into something he shouldn't be, never saw himself becoming, but has been reformed into something other than what he should be. The priest's message and power were reformed into powerless control. They had all the control the priests did, the Pharisees did. Jesus shows up and now the crowds are following him. Did you hear what they said? It's fascinating that John recorded it. What they said was, it's not a big deal. Look, the world follows this this person. We don't care about the world. We've got the truth here. They went down in flames with that approach. But really, they're living in fear. See, Jesus came to reform the entire religious system didn't he? And they knew their time was up. They want to say one thing like, oh, dismiss it. It's just the world following him. But at the same time, they're striking a deal with Judas in order to kill him. Because why? He's a threat. He's reforming their whole system. Therefore, he's a threat. 
He is the answer for besieging a corrupt religious leadership. My, my challenge to you in this is simply to say, when injustice is happening, understand that how Jesus describes himself, how he has um, presented himself, is one who will die in order that justice is served. And not only will he die for that, but he will suffer tremendously. Here in this moment, it's so ironic is that he's coming in, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. People are laying down. He's everybody's friend. And over the span of six days, he becomes everybody's enemy. How fascinating. But see, here's the beauty of who Jesus says he is. He's bigger than what you think he can do. He has a higher agenda, a higher calling, a higher purpose than what you could possibly imagine. And with all that loftiness, the beauty of this is he did it out of love for individuals. So whatever is happening in your life that you feel is unjust, too difficult, it needs changing. We live in that world, don't we? We have more social justice warriors out there marching almost every day for something. And I'm not saying that, that we don't need to do something, but I think Jesus can change. Well, I said that wrong, didn't I? I know Jesus can change what's going on all around us. And then the marches that are in our streets currently wouldn't it be great if they became marches like the triumphal entry? The question is, do we see that Jesus? Are we committed to that Jesus? Do we hold to that Jesus? The one who made himself very evident, the one who said who he is, and the one who came for you this week, focus on who Jesus says He is. And if you're fairly new to this, I encourage you, start in John 12 and just read through the rest of the chapter. It'll take you about 10 minutes if you're an insensitive cuss. If you read the Bible as literature, I guarantee you if you read it to find out who Jesus is, it's going to take you a lot longer. And the more you read it every day, it's going to take more and more time. I encourage you, just stop. When something strikes you, when something hits you, just stop and spend some time getting to know Him. Let me pray over what we've heard this morning. So, when we hear these words, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, understand these individuals had every right to believe that Jesus was coming as king and was going to set up the kingdom and free them. That's what the prophecy said. But Jesus has a different way of doing it. A better way. A perfect way. Where He takes the suffering on for us. Where He vanquishes death for all time for those who believe in Him. Let me pray this morning. Father, we come to You with an understanding of faith. And as we
put ourselves into those moments as a story unveils itself, as a nation gathered proclaiming Jesus as King, and yet the events over the next six days make them walk away the, the fastest political ditching we've ever seen in history. And yet, He really is King. And the millions and millions of people since the cross and the resurrection happened that have come to faith in understanding and, and stating, that's my King. Thank you, Father, for your perfect ways. Help us to leave aside our own desires, our own proclivities, and to embrace that which is perfect. Help us to know Jesus the way He is. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.